everyone, Aaron Stewart with Data Access Golf. Very um, excited about today's program. It, uh, it was a discussion I was able to have with Fred Shoemaker yesterday morning. We'd finished up a, a coaching call, which was really great. He uh, helped me kind of look at my daughter's swing. We talked about some of the things that I'm working on, which would probably um, not be very exciting to most golfers, but it's completely exciting for me. And it's completely exciting for Fred when we start talking about what we're experiencing and what we're learning. Uh, Fred has a unique and very in-depth understanding of how to play golf as efficiently and naturally as possible. And I don't know how else to put it. I have a... Um, when, I, when I went to the school the first time, I was, it was a unique experience for sure. And you'll hear in this that I was a little frustrated. But once I realized what Fred was able to do and what Fred was able to share, I glommed on. And I did. I've, I've, I hold on with all four hands now and, and, um, and listen to him. And that's, I want to apologize up front because you'll hear that, especially at the start, I try to set things up. This is my first interview. And I always wanted it. And why it's my first interview is I always wanted the first interview on this podcast to be Fred Shoemaker. Um, so I've been doing a lot of podcasts to try to get to a point where I felt like it was worthy of Fred's time, frankly. And um, having him as the 150th episode was important to me. It was cool. So it, I'm glad that it's worked out. Anyway, um, you'll hear me kind of try to set some things up to start just just turn me off. I'm going to leave this pretty much uncut. I'm not going to use my dopey little introduction. This is too special for that. And I'm not going to use my dopey little closing uh, either. This is too important for that. This is just going to be sort of unadulterated golf talk. And this is how we communicate. This is how we um, talk about golf. And you'll notice pretty quickly that there is a different way and a better way to get really good at golf very quickly and it's not a bunch of formulas and techniques and drills it's about figuring out who you are and getting out of your own way and nobody talks about it better than Fred Shoemaker and um, and he and nobody shows you better than the extraordinary golf schools and I'm so glad that that 12 13 years ago whatever it was that uh, good buddy of mine, Thane, introduced me to Fred, and uh, it's been a, a really cool journey since. I've met some of my dearest friends through this program, and uh, we've been in mastery together now for 10, 11, 12 years, and uh, just super amazing experience on so many levels, and I'm so happy that I get to share that with those who are listening uh, today and those who are listening in the future, because this uh, turned out to be really great. Once I once I learned to shut up, it got to be a really great time. I, I will apologize, too, for a lot of my mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm through it as well. But I absolutely hang on every word, um, and I sat there listening and learning. And I, will, I don't know how many times I'll listen to this uh, podcast because there's so much that Fred shares that uh, there's probably a couple new books out of this thing um, because the, all the memories and all that... I had my experience on this side, and Fred was, was so generous and kind enough to share the reasoning and his experience on the other side of that experience and why it's done that way. And at, 
a totally a glimpse into really um, anybody who, who wants to go in and work with Extraordinary Golf. It's a, it's a really cool macro view of what it, of what, how it goes along. And that was just really fun for me to, to walk down this, this path of memory lane, but also to have Fred's take on, on that walk. And it's been a very, very cool one. He's a great man. I look forward to sharing this with you. Uh, let me know, comments, all that. Uh, but uh, without further ado, here is sort of the uncut conversation. We had some technology problems with the software we were going to use. It didn't really work out. And so we went to sort of a backup plan. So I'm on my cell phone. So I sound terrible. Fortunately, Fred sounds really good. And so you'll get everything that you need from this and more. It's far more than anything we could ever need. And I'm just so excited and honored and grateful that I have the chance to share it with you. So without further ado, let's go. Hello. Hello. Yeah, Aaron, it's Fred. Hi, Fred. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Okay. Well, that was craziness. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, wow. All right. Is everything okay now? Yeah, no, it sounds great. So, yeah, this is great. Okay. So, I'm going to go position myself over near the window to make sure I have good reception but on my cell phone. But anyway, okay, great. But nobody can see it when we do it. So, anyhow. All right, you ready for this? I'll just do my yeah. little thingy thing, and then I'll, I'm going to do a, a very nice flowery intro before I do it, but I guess we'll just jump into it right now and just kind of see where it goes. So, Absolutely. Thank you That's for doing fun. this. Yeah. I'm totally, totally pumped. This is way exciting for me. So, All right, here we go. I'm going to try to do my radio voice, and we'll cut it from here. So, Okay. All right. <laughs> Everyone, I'd like to welcome to the program today um, good friend, my mentor. I've been a disciple of Fred's for a long time, but Mr. Fred Shoemaker of Extraordinary Golf is joining us today. Hello, Fred. Hey, Aaron. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time. We, I, I must admit that we just got done with a, a little coaching call we had earlier, so uh, that, that was fantastic. So thank you for that, first and foremost. And, and also, uh, thank you. Just, just for yeah. anyone who's listening, I just want to let people know that Aaron and I have been involved in work, you know, coaching together, being together, learning together. And I, Aaron, in my opinion, you, you evoke both the best qualities of a scientist, maybe a, at times a mad scientist, and someone <laughs> who's devoted to also to uh, self-awareness as uh, one of the greatest forms of knowledge. And that's a rare combination. So uh, this has always right. been a pleasure to be with you and learn together. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, and, and I, I thank you, Fred. It's been an incredible journey, and I, I, I mean, I, I feel like I need to apologize for my first, our few, first few times together must have been horrible on you because I, I wasn't <laughs> quite the, uh, <laughs> the but uh, I really respect it. I kind of wanted to even maybe get into it a little bit on how you sort of helped me overcome some of the these preconceived biases and things that sometimes we get to into golf, especially those that have played like our whole lives. And we have this certain thought process of how golf is supposed to be learned. And in order for it to be learned, and, and, and I've learned in order for it golf to be learned in, in a more excellent way, 
that there's some things that have to change and you helped me do that. And I've been really mm-hmm. grateful. I was looking through my email and uh, the first email that I received on the mastery program was in 2007. Oh, wow. How about that? So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been, it's been quite, uh, quite the journey, but uh, anyway, I wanted to jump in and, and again, I, I'm hopeful that, my I, my experience in getting through that, I think, will probably mirror a lot of folks that are trying to learn golf. And I was raised to play it and think about golf a certain way and positions and this and that and the other. And I showed up at your golf school with a good friend of ours, Thane, and um, mm-hmm. he had given me your book, and I had read it. And so I showed up with some idea, but not really fully. But when we got into that room the first time, that conference room, which is now a, a, a sacred place to me because we spent so much time in there. Talking, but I when we began we began to introduce ourselves, I came came to the realization that we were not split up based on our ability levels, and I found that really well. Now I find it fascinating. Back then, I was a little frustrated by it Mm -hmm. uh, because there were some beginners in there, and and I was like, oh man, I'm way better than these people. What in the world can I learn with these people? What's the what's the mindset behind that of having us all together like that? Well, we've had a golf school in which a PGA, LPGA tour winner and a beginner were at the same school. And I paired them together in an exercise. And the LPGA player said at the end of the program, she had the same thoughts you do. What what am I doing with this person? And at the end of the program, she said, "I I was with someone who was actually a better learner than I was even though they hadn't spent as much time doing it, they had the capacity to learn and grow faster than I did. And she said, I got more from being with this person than I did with anyone else. So the notion is each of us have certain levels where we are, like where our awareness is. And the capacity to experience more subtleties or more differences in that area, it doesn't matter who's better or who's worse. We all have uh, a chance to grow by just developing our capacity to be present to things that we haven't been present to before. So it isn't that there's a formula and you're further down the line than other people. I mean, when I practiced this morning, even my intent when practicing was what can I tune into an experience that I've never experienced before? And I think that's what makes the difference, whether you're a tour player or whether you're a beginner. Awesome. Yeah, I had a similar experience, and I think we've talked about it, where, and you set me up a little bit, and I'm so grateful that you did. I think that you probably sense the, uh, it, I mean, you've done this so long, you probably sense the, the real um, sort of antagonist in the group, perhaps, and maybe I came across as more of that than anybody else. But we went out to the range, we introduced ourselves, we went out to the range, and we went through, you filmed us two different ways. And you cover this great in the book. You filmed this hitting a golf ball, and you filmed this throwing a club. And then we mm-hmm. went back in to the conference room, and you showed me one of the beginner's swings um, hitting a golf ball. And you asked me, hey, Aaron, what do you, how long is it going to take for this, this lady? And she was, she was probably in her late 60s or something, and she hadn't played a lot of golf. You said, how long is it, you know, it, will it take her to have a, a good golf swing? And I looked at it and was totally panicked because we were all in that room together. And I said something along the lines of, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if she can, you know, 
Okay. And, and you kind of had a little smile on your face. And then you quickly went over and showed me the cl- her club throwing swing. And I knew at that moment that you'd got me, that I had been had. Because <laughs> I looked at her throwing motion, and then you said, well, what about this swing? What do you think of this swing? And I said, you know, I, all I could say is it's perfect. Um, what is yes. it about that 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 makes that happen? That that I mean, I looked at one golf swing that literally was a, a disaster in my mind, based on everything mm-hmm. that I knew at that time. Yes. To a, a second later, seeing the exact same person, probably what five minutes later, make a motion that was perfect, as far as a golf swing motion goes. What what is well, that? Each of us has. Uh, from the time we grow up, an instinct to propel something, an instinct to throw something, an instinct in how to move. It's part of our DNA. We've done it with so many things. Some people may be slightly more efficient than others. See, the, the purpose of a golf program is not to coach somebody to, in a formula, but to have them discover what, they're innately, what they innately already have. And most people come to a program and say, you know, I suck or something's wrong with me, make me better. You know, I've been doing this now for, we've had over a thousand golf schools. No one's ever come and said, I have everything I need. I'm whole, I'm complete. The only thing that's missing is uh, some awareness. Lead it out of me, bring it out of me. And that was the intent of that, that video, was to show people that it isn't someday and at some future time, what you have is already here right now. And the point of all of this was to have people see that it's possible, that it's possible. And that, that opens up something. It isn't like, you know, I'm going to, you know, wander forever. Hopefully someday be able to hit a ball reasonably solid and break 100. It's just that, wait a second, here I have something. So it, it changes the orientation of how learning happens. Instead of going and finding it from this teacher or that teacher, getting my backswing from this and my downswing from that, the orientation is now how do I lead something out of me that is already there? And that's a different way to go about things. And when you go to practice, the whole point of practice is to grow your awareness of where you are, to grow your awareness of a new possibility, and begin to feel the differences in the two. And as far as I can tell, that defines learning. Learning means mm-hmm. I experience where I am. Not that I have a concept, not an understanding, but a direct experience of where I am. The second thing, I have an experience of a possibility that could be way more effective. And then when I swing, I can feel the difference in the two. And if that's happening, the only recourse of a coach is to shut up and watch the learning take place. So that's, that's what the films were about have people see that they're quite amazing already. And it, ha- it has such a, I mean, the effect on all of us, I think, was extreme. I mean, I, you fortunately um, put us together. I played with this lady, and I wish I could remember her name. I've totally forgotten her name. But we played that, you let us, we go out and play nine holes together at the end of that school. And I, mm-hmm. I got to play with her. And she played beautifully. Um, and it was just such a joy to have spent those three days with her, watching her kind of, because she, she went back out to the range with such confidence that she already had what she needed. And, and then to watch her go out on the course and express herself, just be herself and, and play really beautiful. She had some amazing shots. And we had such fun that, I, I mean, I was, 
that was a that was an important three days in in switching my whole paradigm as far as how golf can be learned. Yes. Well, one of the things about you, you're a person who's open for a paradigm shift. Many people aren't. A lot of people live in the same values and uh, and beliefs that they leave high school with. And then some people say, wait a second. When I see something that shows me there's something actually, uh, let's say, better for me, I can switch. I can change. And that's an amazing thing. I mean, always when I want to take a lesson from anyone uh, in anything, I look for the person who's the best student. Best students always make the best coaches and teachers and mentors and the whole thing like that. And uh, when that lady went out on the golf on the golf course, there was probably a lot less in her head than there are in most players. See, if you if you go on a golf course trying to remember a method to do, you're standing over a shot trying to remember what you did on a range, or what worked, or what the teacher said. That's one way to play. Another way is to go out on a golf course and see if I can just express what I naturally have. So golf becomes a form of self-expression and maybe possible freedom rather than being in your head and trying to think out each move. And it makes a difference. Uh, yeah. And I, it, it, I mean, even, you know, even Rory McIlroy, we just finished the British Open. When he won the Canadian Open, he said, I so love the fact that I could play with freedom coming down the last nine holes of a tournament. He said, for me, that was an amazing, validating experience. And you know, as you know, uh, the capacity to have that kind of freedom is less and, than sometimes, more than sometimes. And it's a real challenge to keep that up. And a lot of, um, I mean, a lot of what we saw, we did just finish up with the British Open. A lot of what we saw with Rory, I was heartsick for him because he had played so free and so wonderfully at the Canadian Open, but there was so much more to, I, I, there was so much um, that he had to, to overcome to stay out of his head, it seemed like, with the British Open, that, that that's where the struggle seemed to come from. There's no arguing the talent and who Rory is or any, and that he didn't, yeah. he knew the golf course. All of that was in place. Um, every, all of I mean, everything pointed to Rory doing very, very well, but yes. something got in the way, well, something interfered. We have human beings generally walk around in life in the middle of something, usually in the middle of some story, and it can get in the way of our performance. I mean, we're the only species on earth that we know that can interfere with our performance. We can do things less than we're capable of doing. We can also build incredible billions, buildings and do amazing things, but we interfere. And the interference has a lot to do with the mind going into the past and into the future, into a story. What would happen if, or what did I do then? So there is, there is you could say, an addiction to the story that we have. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people rise above that, and their intention becomes stronger than their addiction than our addiction, let's put it that way. I was, give, I was mm -hmm. told a story by a guy who made the winning putt, the Ryder Cup. And he said, I'm going to tell you, before I, because I think it's useful to your coaching. He said, I made the winning putt, the Ryder Cup. And I said, no, I saw it on TV. And he said, let me tell you what happened. I'm coming down the 18th of the Belfry. And the story about what it means, he's European, what it means for my country, what it means for my continent was so big I could not entertain it. 
for fear that I couldn't function at all. It's like when a person sees a car accident, they jump out and help. If you really think about what's going on, it, you might stop yourself, but you can't go to the story. You have to go to what's right there. So he said, mm -hmm. I couldn't go to the story. He actually, he misses the green 18, chips it up to, to 12 feet, and he has a 12-footer to win the Ryder Cup. And he gets over the putt, and he said, once again, I couldn't go to what it means. I just had to be putting. He said, I saw my ball. I saw the mark. I saw the hole. He said that the putter seemed to take itself back. I felt it hit solidly. He says, I noticed that it hit my mark three feet from the hole. Now, imagine how present you have to be to notice that at that time. And the ball went in, and he mm -hmm. doesn't remember anything after that. He says, the reason I'm telling you the story is that for the first time in my life, I felt freedom. I didn't understand what he meant. Mm -hmm. He said that, he, but he said, when you're really committed to something, it's the only time you're free. And he said, mm -hmm. for the first time in my life, the story got so big, even I couldn't go there at all. He said, I was just committed to this putt, and that was it. So we don't hear it very often, that commitment is freedom. We usually hear it mm -hmm. as a burden or an onus, but he saw it in a different light. And there's something probably, I, I have no idea what Rory McIlroy's experience is. I would love to know. But there's something, mm -hmm. sometimes the story is bigger than we are, and sometimes we're bigger than the story. And this fellow mm -hmm. became the, who made the winning putt in the Ryder Cup, became the, uh, the Ryder Cup captain. And mm -hmm. he told them that story on the night before they were about to play. And the European team mm -hmm. won that Ryder Cup that he was the captain of. I my sense that it probably had something to do with it. You know, mm -hmm. each, each action that we take tells what we're committed to. And rarely do we notice. I mean, if I get to the first tee and say, uh, you know, my back is stiff. I haven't played in two weeks. You know, my dog kept <laughs> me up all night or something. What I'm really saying, <laughs> yeah, what I'm really saying is that I am committed looking good to you because I'm trying to lower your expectations because if I miss hit, I feel you won't think I'm good enough and I'll feel badly. So my whole, my whole conversation is about that. I mean, no one comes to the first tee or rarely does someone come to the first tee and say, you know what, I'm really a nice player. Uh, just mm -hmm. stand back there and watch me rip this thing. The smoke will probably come curling off the ball and uh, <laughs> you get to see a jet stream or something. I mean, Almost no one raises expectations. Almost everyone's trying to lower them. I mean, if it was just a game and it didn't mean anything, I mean, inherently it really doesn't, why would we just play that fun game? Watch this, man, like we did when we were kids. Watch this shot. Watch mm -hmm. me do this. But we always have that story in, in mind rather than what we say we're committed to. And, uh, and that form of uh, intention or commitment is uh, something to be practiced all the time. It's practice part of every day. I mean, when I go into a golf lesson, you know, my, my predilection, like most all of us, is to want to look good, uh, want to have something smart to say, and want them to appreciate what I'm doing. But that's not my commitment. My commitment is to empower people. And if mm. I can stay with that, I seem to say things that are more on point rather than trying to get a compliment. And the lesson goes with much greater velocity because to empower people is to develop them as their own coach in such a way when they leave, they can coach themselves in ways they never had before. So this whole mm -hmm. notion of the being bigger than a story, uh, 
you know, it should be taught in first grade, but we don't up to this point. Mm-hmm. I, I remember a, a time, uh, this, this, this idea of a story and, and wanting to do well and all that. I remember a time out on the, we were on the back tee at Carmel, and it was, it was just the two of us. And it was moving towards the latter part of the day. And you realized that I was, I was, I was trying to do stuff. I was trying to make my body do stuff. And I was trying to listen to what you were telling me and do stuff. And you stopped everything, and you said, okay, for the next little while... I'm just going to shout numbers at you. You're going to add them up, and you're going to tell me the answer, you know, right after you hit the ball. Yes, that's, that's all I want you to do. And I started, and I had been hitting some real, real plunkers. And you started just shouting these numbers out at me. We were the only two back there, and I started hitting the ball unbelievably well. I couldn't. There was no way for me to have a conscious thought because I was adding numbers. And that was so fascinating to me. What, what does, I mean, I, I guess it goes back to the throwing margin, but in your, why do you do that? And what do you get out of, of, I mean, I know what I got out of it. What do you get out of it watching somebody go through that? <laughs> well, it was 40 years ago when someone says to me, you know, Fred, you could forget everything you know about golf and still play golf. And I didn't quite understand it because, you see, I can forget everything I know about walking and still walk and eating and still eat. I can forget everything I know about driving a car and somehow my body would still drive the car. So we have mm-hmm. a mind that we talked about that can get in the way. So I, I know that numbers are very arresting. They grab the mind. So you would start your swing. You would say go and you would start and I'd go four, three, four. And you have to tell me that it's 11 bef- bef- before you look to see the ball in the sky. So I know that mm-hmm. at no point could you remember any formulas of how to swing? But it was a way of showing you that, you know, you can play golf, man. You can play without trying to remember that formula. See, formulas are like a, they're like a net underneath the trapeze. We want them for safety. We want them to, just in case, I have to remember something. And most people walk to the first tee with the memory of the formula or the instruction in their head. And my experience, it's not a great way to play. See, I, I've had a chance to work with, you know, maybe 150 golf professionals. Mm-hmm. People who play well walk to the first tee with the etching of the experience in their body and not the memory of the instruction in their head. And they're able to kind mm-hmm. of notice that etching and how it works out. And it's, it's different. And when we did that, just giving you numbers on the back of the range, it was one way to show you how much you already have. And you don't have to remember so much. I mean, if you, if you just look at it logically, if I'm on a range trying to make sure that I get a full turn. So it's, it's actually, if I say I need to make a full turn, it's an expression of distrust that I can make a full turn unless I think about it. So right. just seconds before I hit, I am exhibiting lack of trust. And everybody knows that trust is valuable, but very few people realize that they're actually practicing the opposite of it. So mm. what would be to, when you actually trust something, I mean, trust is to assume the reliability without trying to control it consciously. And that's mm. what we were doing. We were engaging in an act of trust with you to see how reliable you are when you don't try to control things. 
And that's what we're doing. And it makes a person just realize, or maybe if you look back on it, or it's just that how good you were and are. And uh, it also, when people add numbers, there's a certain freedom that the body has too. And the, probably the number one source of uh, mishits in golf is over-tightening of muscles that are unwanted. And if you mm. hook up amateurs and professionals, an amateur hits an 8-iron 125 yards and a professional hits at 165 yards. They find that an amateur will tighten up between 20 and 30% more muscle fibers than 125-yard 8-iron than a professional will. But yet, if you say to someone, just relax, that's an inaccurate because that means on the ground to sleep. <laughs> so when we did that... When we did that, somehow your body knew what to tighten and what not to tighten. And I can't teach that. Are you kidding? No one can. Tighten your deltoids for one fourteenth of a second and your trees major for one ninth. I mean, that's true mechanics, but unable to do. So that's that's what we're doing, that's all. And and I like those times. I love it when the the fact that you can see that you can hit a golf ball really well and not try to have to figure out how to do it every time. It was shocking to me, but yeah, it was really, mm. I mean, it was one of, it was definitely one of those moments where I was like, Oh, I, you know, I'm not in control of this whole thing. <laughs> you know, the, yes. the voices of my head are not the golfers. They need to leave me alone and let me take care of things. I need to distract them somehow because I'm always, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously much better when they're not helping me, you know, air quotes, helping yeah. me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was that was totally an awesome. We've had a lot of really cool experience on that back range, for I, sure. I and and as, as you were talking, another one came to mind. And I think, and again, I know that a lot of people that play golf want this. We want to hit the long ball. We want to we want to display power. And you know, if we can get it close to the green, we think our scores are going to come down and all this wonderful stuff. And so I said, hey, I don't feel very powerful. And so you took me to the back of the range, and and you always have these bags of throwing clubs and, mm -hmm. and off the back of the range, there's a, there's a, a little par four right there, but then there's a river on the other side of it that I could throw as hard as I really wanted. And there's no way I could get anywhere near there. And we, again, yeah. nobody was out at, at the time. And you said, okay, you want power? Take this club and throw it in the river. And I'm like, what? You just throw it as hard as you want. And so I started heaving these clubs and then you had me pay attention to my body and What's, what, is that, what does that do for us? when we, I mean, I, I, unadulterated, I was throwing these things as hard as I could, but so many powerful things came out of that exercise. How did that occur yes, for well, you? There's a thought that a teacher can help someone produce power, like a bigger X factor or increase your turn or whatever it is. But this, the chain of events is so complex and so subtle, it's impossible to teach it, and yet you can learn it. So... I'm under the, uh, you know, I'm living in the, in, the, in, the, in the sense that your body has gone through a million years of evolution, basically, as far as we can tell. And mm -hmm. it knows better than I. So if I ask you to throw something, and then I ask you to throw it farther, your body will show both of us how it's designed to do it, how you load the ground, how you load your legs, when and how your hips move, how you pressurize the ground through, how far you turn back, the whole timing of the ball. It's an amazingly intricate and beautiful sequence that can only be learned. So that exercise taught both you and me how to do it. 
And if we could both pay attention to have, you were having the experience of power. Now, my job was to say, Aaron, pay attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sense what you're doing here. And when you go over and hit a golf ball, notice if it's different. Remember, juxtaposition or the experience of differences is what learning is. And when mm-hmm. you went over and hit a golf ball, you could begin to sense, hey, you know, this isn't as much as that, or this is more than that, or the timing is different, or I'd use the ground differently. And now we're off and running. That's what's needed. Uh, see, you can only get the power that you have. In my experience, is anybody who can get everything out of their body that they have is satisfied. And I'm never going to hit the ball mm-hmm. as far as Rory McIlroy. But I can hit mm-hmm. it as far as I can hit it. And that experience of getting everything out, it isn't force. Force has, it usually happens with people who are trying to get power. You can, they over-tighten way too much. Uh, but if, if, suppose I'm a center fielder, and I, the ball comes out to me, and the guy's running to second base. So I'm going to throw it to the second baseman covering the bag. But then he rounds second base, and he's going to third. All of a sudden, for some beautiful reason, I take a bigger step. I turn more. Everything changes, and I throw to third. Now, did someone have to teach me that? Or does my body respond to that? So I basically said mm-hmm. to you, throw further. Big instruction, right? Throw further. I sounded creepy almost. <laughs> <laughs> and no, but, your and, body did. And, yeah. That was the amazing thing. And, and the, I think the big thing that we discussed right after was like, I couldn't believe how much tension had to come. I had to have less tension to throw it further. And, yeah, I, way to go. and that was the big that was the big takeaway is like, Oh, I can't, I can't, my normal golf swing, I can't throw, but it, in order for me to really let it go, I've got to, I've got to loosen up some, some things and try not to, and just let it go. And uh, that was yeah. the big thing right there. We started hitting balls and then throwing and then hitting balls. It's like, Oh, I have, I'm tightened some stuff up that I had no idea I was tightening up and yeah, that's taken away from my power. Yes. Yeah. One of our coach and Evan Schiller said, you know, Mm. Uh, he, he said, you know, I think people, before they even swing, have ruined their swing. Just the setup mm. alone tightens things that it makes it unable to have both the path, path work and the complete use of their body. And the more I get into this, the more I see Evan's really accurate. He had a, a sense of how things, before they start, there's, you've seen swimmers do their kind of shake down their body before they swim. Everybody has something that gets them in the, in the mode to hit. Mm-hmm. Golfers usually stand over it and then think about what to do next. And the very times just having thoughts tighten the body. I mean, when I first got into uh, golf in, in terms of uh, teaching and coaching, I thought I knew a lot of stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And the more I'm into it, the more I realize one of my jobs is to have a person, my only job, is to have a person be present to their experience. They don't learn from me, they learn from their experience. I mean, the same way you learn how to walk when you're a child and balance on a bicycle and a thousand other things. And mm-hmm. the state of mind of the performer has a lot to do with the performance. And if you're mm-hmm. in the head with worry, doubt, anxiety, fear, hope, all the range of things, you can't only not feel, it's very difficult to perform. So that throwing motion is just a motion that, you know, as I said earlier, it's basically you've done since you're a child. And to be able to rekindle that and then watch how it works is a, is a fun thing. I love being around that when people discover really how great they are already. Already, yeah, I love that. 
Mm, I love that. Um, okay. Everything just keeps popping into my head, but this goes back right. to the first school we had together. Okay. The first school we were there and I, and, and we'd moved on now to putting and you were walking around talking to everybody about their putting, but you came up to me and I was making a putt and I've shared this story before with the listeners, but I can't wait to hear your side of this. So I, I was <laughs> okay. putting and you came up to me and you said, Hey, you, what's your target? And I was probably have like a 10 footer. And I said, you know, I was like kind of incredulous. Like, what do you mean? What's my target? I'm lined up. I'm pointed. It's that hole right there. And you said, no, it's not. If that was your target, you would have made one by now. <laughs> I missed like 15 in a row, 10 footers. And, and some of them weren't sniffing the hole. Um, but, and then you told me, hey, I, I just want you to look at that ball out there. And there was a ball that I putted that was past the hole. And there was a little Nike swoosh on it. I want you to hit that Nike swoosh with this putt, but I want you to keep your eyes out there and focus on that Nike swoosh. And I hit it. And there was a little, you know, it was on that corner of the, of the, you know, that top corner where there's a little slope. So it was a right to lefter and I still hit it uh-huh. dead on right swoosh. And then he said that yeah. one over there and I hit it again and again. And I was blown away by what had just happened. I went from missing the hole on a 10 footer to hitting 12, 13 footers dead on this little Nike swoosh. What, what happened yes. there? What, what made me a great putter well, all of a sudden? The whole notion of what's the target seems uh, ridiculous to people. Everybody knows what the target is. If you ask a person you're 100 yards from away from the hole, what's your target? Everyone will say the hole, the green, or the area around the hole. But if you take a person up to the top of the swing, and you say, what's the truth about what's your target? Very few people say the hole. They say the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's like being in a business where people say, my target is the mission of the company. And then they get in a room with the people, and it comes about, they change targets. It's about being right, dominating, you know, all the things that people do when they are unconscious. So mm-hmm. this notion that the, the target leads out people's actions, Whatever your target is, is how you will act. So when you get to the first T, like I talked earlier, people, a lot of people's target is not wanting to be embarrassed, and that usually causes mm-hmm. tightening. But all we did with mm-hmm. you is get in touch with the thing that you set as a target. It's over there. So it got you out of your head momentarily of how to stroke or you're making sure you roll the ball well or rock your triangle or a hundred other things that people will look at. And it got you to look over there and hit that. Your body has an amazing way of being able to react to targets. And it'll teach you more when you're reacting to a target like that, what your true putting stroke is. You know, for the first 50 years of American golf, it was kind of, you know, it was a risky stroke, Bobby Locke, Bobby Jones. And then it became little rest, risky, and now it's, you know, basically, you know, keep the thing like a triangle. And then now people are letting the putter head go more. There's all sorts of things. But what do you, what's going to be true for you, you know, 10 years from now and 20 years from now? See, when you're really with the target, your natural instinct or true stroke comes out. And I wanted you to see not only that, how accurate you can be, but you could also start to feel what your body does when it does that. You know, so... There's no such thing as one stroke for everybody. I mean, I was always amazed that people have methods because how could one method possibly fit bodies since no two are ever alike? You Mm -hmm. can say it's kind of like, you know, you should swing kind of like 
Patrick Reed or something like that. Yeah, well, it's never mm-hmm. kind of like. They are, bodies are so different. The only thing you can be is you. And that mm-hmm. was the way, one, one, one way of bringing it out. And when you, when you get out to a target like that and start hitting that Nike swoosh, it's possible you could put your head back to your golf ball and still be connected to, related to, responding to that same target out there. See, mm-hmm. what professionals, when you ask this to a player who's playing for a living, you're 100 yards and what's your target? He basically says the pin. Then you say you're mm-hmm. at the top of the back saying, what's your target? They look at you as if you're stupid. He says the <laughs> pin. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, we can leave that now. <laughs> but it really yeah. is. The, the golf ball is captured on the way to that. You know, it's not the thing. It's the thing that goes mm-hmm. to the tar- to the thing. And that was one way of doing it. Uh, oh, I think oh, I have a job because people make golf balls the targets. Mm-hmm. And you can see bot- bodies stop and stall out. And clubs flip around, and you know people say I can't finish it, and I don't hit it solidly. It's uh, it's not the target, yeah. and and every at, in some level everyone knows it's not, but we always get caught mm-hmm. up in it. That was right. way of doing that. You have a lot of you have a lot of great memories of these things. I mean, yeah, you remember I, I, way more than I do. <laughs> no, I do. I have tons of them. Yeah, tons and tons. But I. One of the things I didn't, I know we're running short on time, but one of the things that, that we um, always geek out about together is how to build awareness. And we've gotten into how to use different technologies, like swing by, mm-hmm. body track. So yes. your advice to us as students, I mean, there's lots of cool technologies coming out there. How best can we leverage technology to make us better golfers? Okay. I love all technology. Okay. Uh, yeah, you do. You will break, it, we will try everything. Yeah, it's awesome. Yes. But, but if you realize the point of all technology is to make it obsolete over time. Mm-hmm. In other words, mm-hmm. can my awareness match reality? See, I love Swing Bite like you do. Mm-hmm. Swing Bite tells, has me some really cool stuff. So, so I would like every swing I swing to be either videoed or have some technology on it. Because mm-hmm. in the absence of accurate feedback, accurate, timely feedback, nobody improves. So it takes timely, mm-hmm. accurate feedback. But the feedback, you don't, you don't go swing and say, what does the machine say? You swing and say, this is my experience. I feel that my club face was open four degrees and I came down three degrees inside or whatever it is. And then you mm-hmm. look at the machine to verify. Always use your experience first. That's where people get lost. They look at the machine mm-hmm. or the video and they say, oh, I'm coming over the top again. So instead of swinging and say, no, I think that one was down the line and then seeing whatever it was. See, the, the whole purpose of machine, as I said, to make it not only obsolete, but to have it so you can tune into, a, see, like Swing Bite or, or, uh, or uh, TrackMan will show me where I need to pay my attention to. Okay, first, mm-hmm. I don't match reality there. I need to pay attention. So that's where I go to. And I swing and watch and swing and watch. And when my experience matches reality, uh, it's an exciting time for me. See, I love mm-hmm. blind spots. And that's where, mm-hmm. where my experience doesn't match reality. So mm-hmm. I use all these things. Now, the, the problem is, is that people think the answer is in the thing. And it never mm-hmm. is. The answer is in your capacity 
to have new experiences replace old beliefs. And that's all we're doing with technology. So if that can happen, then it's all really great. And see, also here, most people don't want accurate feedback. We don't want it. We're afraid of it. I mean, how many times do workers say to another coworker or their boss, tell me what you see in me that I might not see in myself related to what I've committed to. I want you to give me some, act, some feedback and I'll take it as a gift because it's the only way I'm going to learn. No, we're afraid of mm-hmm. feedback because we think it's going to be bad feedback. And mm-hmm. I mean, I've been on ranges for, you know, 44 years now uh, in coaching. And very rarely does someone have a camera or some device. It's always hit, and if the ball goes well, I'm happy. And if it doesn't go well, I'm sad. So Mm -hmm. to crave accurate feedback is to be a great student. And I think that's what you do. And I think, you know, Mm -hmm. you use it in a way that is really uh, highly advanced. You use it in a way to develop your awareness and not as as a crutch in order to like make yourself wrong or uh, make never good enough. And that's right. I love that kind of feedback. Right. The more or, or make better. yourself right for that. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. That was, yeah. Good. Yeah. All right, Fred, this is like, we got to wrap it up. I know you've got other things to do. So my last question, this is going to be a little, you can get angry at me later for it, but you've been doing this <laughs> yes. a long time. You have helped so yes. many of us for such a long time. What is, what do you see your legacy in golf being? What do you want it to be? When this is all said and done and you've helped as many as, what do you want to be remembered for? What's the big message of Fred Shoemaker and extraordinary golf? Well, I don't remember one instruction my dad ever gave me. And to me, that's a huge compliment to him. Mm-hmm. So if, if the best thing that ever happens for any golfers than I have, that a person is present to life and experiencing and enjoying life, life works for them. Golf works for them. That's all. I don't want to remember me. <laughs> I mean, that's mm-hmm. fine. I, and so if there is such thing as a legacy, it would be no legacy. That a person could mm-hmm. just enjoy their life, empower others, honor their commitments, you know, have a workable relationship at, in their businesses. That, that's great. To just enjoy one's life, you know. Uh, the greatest thing that my coaches ever did for me, from, you know, Tim Galway to Gary Lester, was allowed me to be present to enjoy my life. I appreciate for them for that. I appreciate they didn't mm-hmm. fill my head with formulas and prescriptions. And that, that would be enough. And... uh and to have people like you who are curious and fascinated and, uh, and taking this in directions that I hadn't even thought of. And that's just so great. People standing on the shoulders of other people, but not burdening themselves mm-hmm. or others. That's it. Unfortunately for you, you've reached statehood in our house, so that didn't work out yeah, so right. well for you. But anyway, <laughs> that's a good goal. I appreciate it. Well, well Fred, thanks thank for, you so for much for everything. You're welcome, man. Yeah, Thanks for a fun conversation. Yeah. Yeah. As thanks, we always Fred, appreciate say, it. We'll talk to you very soon. Yeah. To be continued. All right, Aaron. Bye bye. <laughs> to, to be continued. Thanks. Bye, Fred. Bye bye.